Our church is right to the ground. It's only, it's down to ash. Burned on banned land, two more Catholic churches go up in flames. The impact and the investigation, plus. This is a, a family neighborhood and we don't expect this kind of activity. A double fatal shooting in Richmond leaves residents on edge. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Karcha. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first, the extreme heat that settled into many parts of B.C. has created worsening conditions. On the Lower Mainland, an air quality advisory has been issued for eastern Metro Vancouver and the central Fraser Valley due to high concentrations of ground-level ozone. Amadagahi begins our coverage from the Fraser Valley. Well, we are here at one of two cooling centers set up for people in Abbotsford who may have nowhere else to go and are desperate to escape the heat, which seems to be just radiating from the ground up as temperatures in this community rose quite higher than many other parts of the Fraser Valley. Without any help, people are, um, they're just sitting out, they're sleeping under, under anything. Gerald Mellish and his wife say they're not safe in the scorching Abbotsford sun. My husband has passed out a couple of times because we haven't been able to find shade. Um, store owners are always telling us to leave. The rush is on to help many vulnerable people in the Fraser Valley where temperatures are climbing fast. In Surrey, we've had a flurry of donations. An extreme weather response team is calling for donations like this to be dropped off at the Phoenix Center on 94A Avenue. We know that we have several hundred people who are not housed at the moment in every location around the city. So we have a really large city, so we're hoping to be able to reach people that are out in Fleetwood, in Guilford, uh, City Centre, in Newton. The items that we're looking for include water, um, hats, sunscreen, um, and gift cards to places where people can get a drink and maybe get into some air conditioning for a while. And these donations really can be life-saving. Back in Abbotsford. I think this will be the hottest I've ever seen it when it comes up to 41, 40. The intense heat forcing this COVID-19 vaccination clinic without air conditioning to close. We've uh, utilized um, some other techniques to decrease the temperature in there, including industrial fans and, and different techniques to keep the staff and um, the clients comfortable. Uh, but we feel the temperature is exceeding that, which is, is safe now for people to be in. And with a break from the heat seemingly days away for this husband and wife. Me and my wife are both elderly. The next 48 to 72 hours are as uncertain as they may be unbearable. Now, a bit of important information for anyone who may have a vaccine appointment at the Abbotsford Egg Center. The one you saw in the story, the team there, uh, led by Fraser Health, will have to reevaluate in the next coming a day or two and heading into next week. So it is important to check in with Fraser Health before showing up to an appointment at that clinic. Emadagahi, Global News. In the Okanagan, a house fire in Peachland soon spread into the brush, causing a wildfire that threatened other homes. The 
fire crews were called to a home in the 5100 block of Maranatha Drive shortly after noon today. It very quickly became fully involved, then spread into the dry brush, eventually consuming two hectares. The B.C. Wildfire Service sent crews and an aircraft to attack the brush fire. Houses on Maranatha Drive were evacuated by police, while residents of nearby homes were put on evacuation alert. By 3 o'clock this afternoon, the fire was considered held. And firefighters have been deployed to a wildfire about two kilometers east of Highway 1 near Ashcroft. The B.C. Wildfire Service says three personnel are responding, along with a helicopter crew and the local fire department. A structure caught fire before spreading to nearby wildland areas. It's said to be about 0.035 square kilometers in size. And fire crews on the North Shore are warning of the fire danger in local forests. The hot weather is causing the fire risk to shoot right up. Fire crews are urging homeowners to clean out dead vegetation from around their homes. They also say now is not the time for a cookout in the forest. With this extreme temperature, our fire danger rating is going to be going up rapidly. And we want to make sure to tell everyone in the District of North Vancouver that this is not the time to have an outside fire. This is not the time to be smoking in the bush. We don't want to wreck these beautiful hills. The situation not that much cooler for road crews in Vancouver. On McGill Street, a hot pour disrupted traffic from North Nanaimo to Bridgeway. Workers are repairing cracks in the road, but say in the heat, they take more breaks. WorkSafe BC says employers have to monitor workers for heat streets. The agency adding in the last three years, it has accepted nearly 100 claims for work-related injuries caused by heat stress. And the extreme heat is causing a record draw on B.C.'s power grid. B.C. recorded its highest ever demand for the month of June last night. The second time the record was broken this week alone. Air conditioning in downtown towers is causing much of the increase in demand. B.C. Hydro expects to shatter the all-time record on Monday when the company expects demand to reach 8,300 megawatts. The record was set last August when 7,900 megawatts were used. Hydro says the system is able to meet the additional demand. And rather the opposite problem in the Pemberton Valley, an evacuation alert has been issued by the Squamish-Lillooet Regional District for the area because of rapid snow melt. The BC River Forecast Centre has issued a flood watch in the floodplain and groundwater saturation has already resulted in some surface flooding. Affected residents are being told to prepare to evacuate at a moment's notice. And for more on what Sunday will feel like, here's meteorologist Yvonne Schell. Yvonne. It's going to heat up even more. We're likely going to see the peak of the heat, especially across the south coast with these dangerous temperatures for Sunday, Monday. A quick snapshot for today, though, out of the airport, unofficially record-breaking heat. The old record was back in 2002. Today, we're just getting up to 31. And a few other spots with Port Alberni, even Lillooet today getting into the low 40s. So heat warning still blanketing the entire province or much of the province. A few spots along the coast and the concern or what we're continuing to watch is this heat dome which is a very strong ridge of high pressure blanketing the province overnight lows will be a big concern we'll just be dipping down to the low 20s for many areas and then even hotter as we get in towards tomorrow with areas away from the water 39 degrees with the humidex it'll feel closer to 45 or 47 more on that the special weather statement and the air quality advisory across the province coming up very shortly Neithu, who just 
just incredible. All right, thanks so much for that, Yvonne. Fire crews in Langley having to deal with scorching temperatures while fighting a blaze this afternoon. A large structure fire broke out just before 2 o'clock this afternoon in the 20200 block of 80th Avenue. The complex is under construction. Flames and smoke shot high in the air. Two rows of townhomes were destroyed. No word yet on the cause of the fire. Firefighters had to take frequent breaks because of the heat. Crews were initially called to reports of a vehicle fire. Upon arrival, uh, the first crew found the car fire was actually a three-story uh, wood frame structure under construction. That was uh, pretty well involved uh, upon arrival. Uh, we have crews from uh, all over Langley attending the scene, approximately 40 firefighters on scene. At this point, there's no reported injuries, but with the extra heat, uh, it's really taking its toll on crews. Crews responding to an RV fire in Burnaby this afternoon. An RV caught fire on Highway 1 at Gallardi. The front of the RV completely engulfed in flames by the time firefighters could get to it. The driver did manage to get over to the side of the road before the worst of it hit. No word yet on the cause or if anybody was injured. Well, when you call an ambulance, you expect it to arrive in a timely manner. But tonight, we're hearing from yet another B.C. family who experienced a lengthy service delay, leading to humiliation for the senior in need of help and heartbreak for her family. Kristen Robinson has more. Ran to the house and she was laying flat in front of the kitchen sink. After receiving a frantic call from his elderly mother Friday, Ercilio Yaquito rushed to her aid two doors down. I said, my mother is diabetic. She has kidney problems and other issues. Uh, she has fallen. He says he immediately called 911 around 4.50 p.m. after finding 85-year-old Tarsila injured in her East Vancouver home. The poor lady was uh, saying, I'm in pain, I'm in pain, I'm in pain and she had to go to washroom. Yaquito says firefighters arrived in less than 20 minutes. The ambulance, not so fast. 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, chief called again. Firefighters cared for Tarsila as they waited, but according to her son, didn't want to risk moving her. It took three hours for the ambulance to finally show to the house. The senior eventually forced to soil herself on the floor during the delay. That's very humaning. It's pretty bad. I mean, we're taxpayers. We need services ASAP. Nobody should be waiting that long for an ambulance uh, under in their time of need. Yaquito has a message for BC's health minister. Spend more money. Don't put it in your pocket. Spend it where it has to go. These people have paid their dues. Now it's time that they need the hand and help. Minister Dix has been very supportive of, of uh, the issue. The paramedics union says the problem is not really about funding, but ambulances that need to be staffed. Take last weekend, for example. Reports are between 30 and 50 percent of the ambulances parked in the lower mainland. And that's what's causing a big part of our delays is the out-of-service ambulances. As his mother recovers, Yaquito doesn't blame those on the front lines. They're doing their job the best that they can with their hands tied. But uh, their managers, it's time that they start doing their job. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
and we reached out to BC Emergency Health Services but didn't receive a response regarding this case. The health ministry says it's working to address the challenge, including a new staffing model aimed at improving emergency response coverage and creating a more stable paramedic workforce. A normally quiet neighborhood in Richmond is the scene of a double homicide. As Paul Johnson reports, area residents are shocked their street is the latest region on the Lower Mainland to be plagued by gun violence. A sweltering summer evening suddenly interrupted with an unmistakable and chilling sound. I was actually in the kitchen with my friend uh, when I said to her, I think I heard gunshots. Neighbors heard as many as five shortly before nine o'clock Friday evening, followed by visual confirmation, the sight of two bodies under tarps in the street. This is a, a family neighborhood and we don't expect this kind of activity. The killings happened in a residential area of northwest Richmond near the corner of Bernard and Westminster Highway. RCMP say they quickly flooded the area and subsequently called in the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. Investigators were seen canvassing the neighborhood Saturday, and IHIT had little information available other than they think there's no concern for public safety at this point. When people are firing guns, uh, anybody can get hurt, anybody could get killed. Well, there's nothing so far to link these killings to the series of gangland hits that gripped the region late this spring, most still unsolved. For the people whose communities have experienced gun violence, the scourge is terrifying and a call for immediate action. It's pretty pathetic. Um, it makes me angry. It makes me sad. Um, not really too sure how I feel about it, except for um, it's a reality that seems to be going on. and. I hope the police and our governments can start doing something about this. In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. It has been almost two decades since a young Vancouver Island woman disappeared and Nanaimo RCMP are issuing a new plea for information in the Lisa Marie Young investigation. We're just asking that people come talk to us because we are here to listen to everybody, no matter their circumstances now or in the past, and we just want to hear what people have to say. 21-year-old Lisa Marie Young has not been seen since she left a Nanaimo house party in the early morning hours of June 30th of 2002. Her friends say Young left with a man in a burgundy Jaguar. The same man drove Young and her friends to the house party. Police consider Young's disappearance a homicide. Investigators have recently received information that has led to searches at several properties in the city, and police say more searches could take place. This afternoon, Young's friends and family marched from the Nanaimo RCMP detachment to a local park in their annual Walk for Justice. Well, obviously find, finding Lisa would be uh, really significant, and we haven't done that yet. Um, but it's hard for me just to, to say that we have you know, a small little bit left to do, but um, yeah, that can change overnight if, if an important person comes forward and talks to us. Um, that adds a very significant piece to that puzzle, and that, that could change. Remember to leave on a good note, to lift each other's hearts up, um, and to give a smile to each other. Young would have celebrated her 40th birthday earlier this year. Investigators say all tips and leads that can be corroborated, whether recent or from years past, are being pursued as they try to crack the case. 
Well, as police forces across North America grapple with accusations of systemic racism, an incident involving four young men from Alberta has cast a critical eye on the actions of some Delta officers. One of them says they were targets of racial profiling when they were stopped at gunpoint this past week by Delta police. Julia Foy has more. 18-year-old Noel Kenne of Calgary was enjoying a camping trip to B.C. with three friends. On Thursday, they went to hit the beach in Tawasson, but the rental car was suddenly surrounded by Delta police. Basically, the police officers get out of the car with their guns out, and then two other police cars come by, right? And then they have their guns out as well. And then they all just start surrounding the car. And then they all tell us to put our hands up and everything. So we had our hands up on the roof and stuff. Kenny says they were handcuffed and put into a hot patrol car for an hour and a half while officers went through their camping gear. I asked them, like, what's going on? Like, why are we under arrest? Right? And then they told us we had been under arrest for possession of a weapon. In a statement to Global News, Delta Police confirmed it had received a report of a firearm being pointed from an SUV. And officers conducted a high-risk vehicle stop. I knew we did nothing wrong, so I wasn't really worried. And it's weird. I, I don't know how I wasn't worried because like, there was like a gun, like to my, like maybe like this far from my face. Police went on to say no firearm was found. The occupants are not known to police, and they were released without charge. Unfortunately, now these young men are going to be left with this traumatic experience of being not only arrested but arrested at gunpoint, and then um, handcuffed and put into a police cruiser for over an hour. And so. Um, it's just really disheartening. These photos were taken by a local mom who was worried this was a case of racial profiling. This happened to my son and his friends while they're in a different province away. Like, how terrified would he be? There were civilians who made direct oversight as the incident was unfolding. Um, so that's a positive. Kenny says he did receive an apology from officers at the scene, but it did little to alleviate their fear, and they cancelled their final night's stay to head back home. If the three of us were not black, we would have got treated like a little bit better, you know? like with less like content. Julia Foy, Global News. After the break, a caravan to Kamloops with a message about justice and course it's suspicious two fires again two more churches two more catholic churches on banned land are burned to the ground plus i think canada day this year needs to be a day of grieving the latest from the cowess's first nation ahead of a vigil at the recently revealed unmarked graves Shock and disbelief on reserve lands in the interior today. Less than a week after two Catholic churches burned down under suspicious circumstances in the South Okanagan, two more churches also burned to the ground, this time in the Similkameen. Darian Matasafung has more. I did attend the scene this morning and our church is right to the ground. It's only it's down to ash. Two more Catholic churches have been burned in BC's southern interior on Indigenous reserve lands. One of the two churches that was burned down is here in the small border community of Chopaka. Lower Similkameen Indian Band Chief Keith Crow says the fire started around four in the morning. So I got a phone call early this morning from uh, one of my members that our church was on fire down Chopaka. Um, Upon that phone call, I got another phone call from Upper Smoky Indian Band that their church has also been burnt. 
The other church is in Headley, about an hour southwest of Penticton. Crow says he heard that fire started around 3 in the morning. RCMP has deemed both sites as crime scenes. Under investigation right now, and I'm going to say this out loud, of course it's suspicious. Two fires again, two more churches in one night. Um, It's heartbreaking. You know, we still have people who worship and practice uh, their religion. They had service there a couple weeks ago. And it's, you know, I, I don't condone this at all. I support all my membership, regardless of the religion and what they believe. RCMP did supply a statement referencing the two other church fires that happened on Monday. The RCMP are treating both of these fires as suspicious and are looking to determine any possible connection to the church fires in both Penticton and Oliver on June 21st, 2021. The investigations into the previous fires and these two new fires are ongoing with no arrests or charges. Crow was also asked about the possible link between the fires and the discovery of unmarked graves at residential schools in both Kamloops and Saskatchewan. Honestly, I, I don't know what to say. It, it's heartbreaking, and I and I do worry about uh, the reaction of other communities across Canada who've had residential schools within their territories, within their nations. Darian Matassafung, Global News. Following an incredibly emotional and difficult week for the people of Cowessis First Nation, a gathering is planned tonight to remember the victims of the Saskatchewan community's residential school system. Heather Urex-West has the details. After an emotional few days, members of the Cowessis First Nation and surrounding communities will gather this evening for a former prayer vigil at the site of what could be as many as 751 unmarked graves. The graves were discovered in a field near the site of the former Maryvale Residential School, a place associated with so much pain and trauma that operated until 1997. Now the vigil is open to the public and will begin with prayers and a smudge before a moment of silence is held at 751 to of course honor the 751 people that may be buried in that field many of whom were just children. The Silk First Nation organized a caravan from Penticton to the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School today. Hundreds of Silk leaders, Indian residential school survivors and their families joined the caravan. It arrived in spectacular fashion, some members marching and drumming, others on horseback. It is in direct response to the recent discovery of unmarked burial sites at former residential schools on both the Tekemloops Tushwetmik and the Kawasis First Nations and all that may be discovered in the future. Once the caravan arrived, a sacred ceremony was held to honor the children whose remains were found, residential school survivors, and those affected by intergenerational trauma. These developments could be triggering for some. Anyone experiencing distress as a result of their residential school experience can access the National Indian Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. It is available 24 hours a day and is toll-free and confidential. 
And coming up, dozens are missing near Miami after a building collapse. The latest on the search for survivors and a report that warned of major damage nearly three years ago. Plus, the settlement in a sweeping trial involving Johnson & Johnson's role in the opioid e- epidemic. The search continued today for victims and any possible survivors of a 12-story condominium building collapse in Surfside, Florida, north of Miami. A fire deep in the rubble has made rescue attempts even more difficult. At least five people are dead, with more than 150 others considered missing. Global Affairs Canada confirming tonight that four affected Canadians are from two families. Jennifer Johnson has the latest. Fire has spread deep inside the rubble of the collapsed Surfside condominium building, hampering rescue efforts as family members wait in agony to learn the fate of their loved ones. Rescue teams are using dogs, cameras and listening devices and bucket brigades in their search. It's a really, really difficult time uh, right now. You know, you wake up in the morning hoping that that more and more people were were pulled out and um, you know, you know, that just news hasn't been uh, what we had hoped. With no warning, the 40-year-old tower collapsed early Thursday morning. 55 units came down as most residents were sleeping. Sergio Lozano is looking for his parents. I was on the phone with her at 1.30. She called me up and she said, I think there's an earthquake. And then the building started to shake and rattle and she, and she screamed and then the phone went dead. A structural survey in 2018 found abundant cracking in concrete columns, beams and walls in the parking garage. The tower's builders had to drive concrete pylons deep into the sandbar, but saltwater intrusion can seep into concrete, corroding the steel inside. Forensic inspectors will try to determine what exactly led to this building crumbling down. Everyone wants to know what is the cause. We are going to conduct a full and thorough investigation with all of our local, state and federal resources coming on the scene. A makeshift memorial with pictures of the missing has been set up near the site. For now, it's a race against time for rescuers and a gut-wrenching wait for loved ones. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Johnson & Johnson has agreed to pay $230 million to New York State to settle claims the pharmaceutical giant helped fuel the opioid crisis. The drug maker also agreed to permanently end the manufacturing and distribution of opioids across the U.S. The deal involving a lawsuit brought on by the New York State Attorney General in 2019 removes Johnson & Johnson from a trial that was set to begin next week. It's part of a slew of litigation over an epidemic linked to nearly half a million deaths over the last 20 years. In a statement, the company denied the settlement was an admission of liability or wrongdoing, adding, quote, its actions relating to marketing and promotion of important prescription pain medications was appropriate and responsible. In health matters, research suggests most of those who lose their sense of smell due to COVID-19 get it back. The sensory loss has been one of the characteristics of contracting COVID-19. French researchers looked at 50 patients and found about half recovered their sense of smell at four months and nearly all recovered completely a year later. Coming up next, how many fans will be allowed to attend the Olympic basketball qualifier in Victoria? Plus... 
are there some strategies that we can potentially incorporate to support the regeneration of these forests? How new research into forest fire ecology could help track trends making wildfires more common in BC? If you're not feeling like climbing all the steps to the top of the tower, um, this is a good substitute. The apparatus allowing one person to ring multiple bells at the center of a worldwide chiming celebration. That is ahead. But first, let's focus in on the forecast. Bringing back meteorologist Yvonne Shell for a look at the scorching heat. And Yvonne, it is going to get even hotter tomorrow. Yeah, with temperatures even getting into the low 40s for many spots in the interior. With the Humidex, we'll be feeling closer to 50 degrees. So let's outline it, what we can anticipate, especially over the next 24 hours as we round off the weekend and into early next week. Here's a shot of what it looks like. Our current temperatures are sitting at 29 degrees. We have the potential with some of the all-time record highs. We could potentially exceed that. There is a very good chance, for example, Lillooet and Lytton back in 1941, getting up to 44 degrees. So a quick snapshot of the all-time record highs. We'll be watching the numbers over the next few days. This is the heat index forecast. And for coastal areas, as we look ahead, Monday, Tuesday, we'll be going from danger um, to extreme danger, rather. And for areas inland, for example, into the Okanagan, we'll be seeing those temperatures soaring. A reminder, though, stay in the shade, keep hydrated, uh, keep your home cool, limit your outdoor activity to mornings and evenings. And if you have any of the following symptoms, do call 911 for a heat stroke, heat, headache, nausea or vomit, vomiting, Hot, dry skin or no sweating, rapid breathing or heartbeat breathe, and may lose if you may lose consciousness. So please monitor your symptoms over the next few days as we battle this extreme heat and very dangerous. Forecast, this is a look ahead towards tomorrow. We'll see that number starting getting, getting to the low 40s. By Monday, late in the day, even away from the water, we're seeing that projection late late. <laughs> Sorry, it's just the numbers are baffling to me. Here we go. We're into the 40s, and with the Humidex, we'll be into the 50s. And the likely seeing the peak of the heat, especially for the interior, will be in towards our Wednesday, Thursday. Got the temperature trend to show you that. So Sunday, Monday, especially inland, away from the water, that's we'll see some of the hottest temperatures. It'll be a touch cooler, or it'll feel that way, especially as we get in towards Wednesday. We're back into the low 30s. And for the interior, we'll see the peak of the heat for Tuesday, Wednesday. But still dangerous as we getting towards later next week. Now, our five-day forecast, we've got the UV index at nine or very high. The Humidex tomorrow, though, feeling closer to 46 degrees. And on Monday, away from the water, so the Fraser Valley will be included within that Nithu, up to 40 degrees. So peak of the heat Sunday, Monday for Metro Vancouver, but still very hot. Stay safe and hydrated over the next few. Back to you. Those numbers are unbelievable. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. A BC church joined up to 100 others around the world today for a 200th anniversary celebration. That's the low tenor. Bells chimed at noon local time at churches across four continents and 11 time zones, including St. James Anglican in the downtown east side. The church participating in a global event that started in New Zealand and finished right here in Vancouver. The Ellicombe chime system was designed in 1821 by a church reverend in the UK. The apparatus is now used in bell towers everywhere and allows one person to ring the bells instead of up to eight bell ringers. Very efficient. Without the Convention, many bells would have gone silent during COVID-19.
This is unique. As far as I know, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, certainly not in Canada and probably not in North America. It is it's most unusual to have a player role as well as the keyboard. You need to have a keyboard and a player role as well as the hand device that you work in the tower itself. If you're not feeling like climbing all the steps to the top of the tower, um, this is a good substitute. Beautiful sound. Absolutely. <laughs> Saves a lot of trips up and down. And speaking of exerting yourself in the heat, Barry, certainly a lot of athletes doing that today. Yeah, well, a lot of local soccer teams are not playing this weekend because of uh, the heat, but they are playing soccer in Seattle where it was 38 Celsius at kickoff, white caps. Uh, they're the opposite of a heat wave. They've lost five in a row. <laughs> Hopefully uh, they can uh, change things against Seattle, which just happens to be the number one team in the league. So we'll have some early highlights of that one coming up. All right, looking forward to that. Also coming up, identifying wildfire and drought patterns. We're sitting on the edge of our seats right now, waiting to see what the 2021 fire season is going to be like. How a BC researcher is looking to include historical context and Indigenous perspectives in a new wildfire study. Well, some would say this has been a long time coming. More funding is now being dedicated to study how drought and wildfires impact BC forests. Dr. Jill Harvey is the incoming Canada Research Chair in Fire Ecology at Thompson Rivers University. Chad Klassen of CFJC News has more on her research objectives. Forest fires are commonplace in the BC interior. You don't have to look back far to see what kind of impact they've had on interior forests. The 2003 fires raged through the North Thompson, devastating towns along the way. More recently, 2017 and 2018 were both historical fire seasons in BC, with millions of hectares burned. I'm hoping that a lot of my research will be able to look at some of these past fires and be able to sort of characterize um, uh, where forests are going, how resilient are forests to these different fires. Dr. Jill Harvey, an incoming TRU professor, will be taking her students into the forests in both the Thompson and Caribou regions to get a better understanding of the historical patterns of fires in the region. So how often fires happened, what areas were affected by those fires. While her research project doesn't focus on predicting future wildfire seasons, Dr. Harvey says a historical understanding using tree rings as well as climate data within the trees may very well give a sense of what is to come. However, it's also about learning how forests have recovered following past fires. It's one of the things that we do know is with climates warming and climate drying in interior BC and elsewhere throughout the world, uh, we can expect that there's going to be more drought. And drought coupled with fire kind of creates conditions that um, we may not have seen in the recent past. Dr. Harvey says the recovery following a fire depends on the structure of the forest and its vegetation. She'll be visiting the Chilcotin to observe the forest following fires in 2010. To look at how the forests are regenerating and to look at over the landscape areas that are wetter and drier, are they regenerating faster or slower? And then hopefully those insights we can then integrate with forest management to say, are there some strategies that we can potentially incorporate to support the regeneration of these forests? Um, in certain circumstances. Dr. Harvey has received $75,000 to conduct this research, which will begin in March. Chat Klassen, CFJC News. And coming up, high Hyperloop hopes. 
it's straight. There is good ridership between those two cities. A futuristic, first-of-its-kind tube transport system in Alberta is a step closer to reality. the Ronald McDonald House BCNU Con celebrate seven years in the house this July. The 73-bedroom house is a home for up to 2,000 families a year while their seriously ill child is receiving treatment. This year, you can help by using text to donate or making an online donation to the birthday wish list. Support the BC Achievement Foundation. Recognize the accomplishments of BC entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders. Go to bcachievement.com today and nominate extraordinary people doing exceptional work. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, before we get to Barry and sports, some basketball fans will be able to watch Canada's last Olympic qualifying tournament in person when it tips off in Victoria next week. Canada basketball bid to host the tournament at Save on Foods Memorial Centre well before the pandemic hit last year. It's hoped the home court advantage will help the Canadian men to their first Olympic appearance since the 2000 Games in Sydney. Now, the West Basketball Festival Organizing Committee has posted that after working closely with BC Public Health, quote, we have just now been approved to host up to 10% of capacity in the centre for games on July 1st, 3rd and 4th. The centre has a capacity of about 7,500 for basketball. Some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, a lot of basketball fans are so disappointed that we can't pack that place for Canada. A lot of great NBA players uh, for Canada. Andrew Wiggins leading the way. I think we can do it, but uh, first game's Tuesday, so it's coming right up. Soon enough, absolutely. Some fans is better than none. Exactly. All right, thanks, Neithi. We'll start with some soccer. The Whitecaps face a uh, scorching hot Seattle Sounders team tonight in Seattle. Yes, the game is being played in sweltering heat, but the Sounders have scorched Major League Soccer this year. Seven wins, three draws through their first ten games. The Whitecaps have gone the other way after a bright start to the season. They have fallen on hard times. They've lost five straight. Wouldn't it be just like the Caps to hand Seattle their first loss? Or not. Whitecaps have yet to score a first half goal this year. That would help their cause. Early on, Sounders on the attack, but Raul Ruiz Diaz cannot find the target, tied for the MLS, uh, MLS leading goals with eight, but it's scoreless. They're about 35 minutes into the first half. Euro 2020, first day of the knockout stage. Italy 3-0 in group play, taking on Austria. No scoring in the first 90, but in extra time, they came fast and furious. Federico Chiazza, great poise to settle it, then fires home with the left boot, 1-0. Italy. And 10 minutes later, the Italians are back for more. Matteo Piscina picks out the loose ball, then curls it just inside the far post. 2-0 Italy through the first half of extra time, but the Austrians did not go quietly. Off the corner kick, splendid effort by Sasha Kulijic. Italy's first conceded goal in 13 matches, 1168 minutes, but Italy do hang on 2-1. to one. They are off to the quarterfinals next week. Earlier, Wales met Denmark. Gareth Bale in Wales honoring Christian Eriksen prior to the start of the match. Eriksen recovering nicely after a procedure to fix his heart after collapsing on the field two weeks ago today. 27th minute, Dane strike first. Kasper Doberg stepping into it from the top of the box. And it's 1-0. Denmark, early second half. Dolberg again, this time the assist comes from the Welsh. Oh, a horrible clearing attempt. Dolberg drilling in his second. 
That made it 2-0 Denmark, and they were on their way, but uh, they add some more. In the 88th, Joachim Mailer will chest it down, cuts it back, and then fires it in. 4-0 the final. The Danes in a Euro quarterfinal for the first time since 2004. They'll await the winner of the Netherlands-Czech Republic match they play tomorrow. Opening stage of the Tour de France. Anything but smooth sailing. A couple of big crashes. First one caused by that fan with a sign-out not paying attention. Tony Martin hits it, and then they all fall down like dominoes. The crowd's obviously a big part of the Tour, but there's always one who caused mayhem. Second pileup, even more devastating. Four-time Tour champ Chris Froome, one of a dozens of riders going down in this crash. Ottawa's Michael Woods caught up in the carnage as well. Cost him about eight minutes. Just a wild scene on tour today. World champ Julian Alaphilippe winning the stage to claim the yellow jersey. Special day out in Langley. Special day out in Langley, Panther Hoops International Basketball Academy dedicating its court after the late Rich Goulet, longtime high school basketball coach, passing away earlier this year at age 74. He played an integral role in getting the Panther Hoops Academy up and running, so a terrific gesture. Many of Goulet's former players at Pitt Meadows High School are trying to get that gym named after him, but the school board has blocked that attempt. 25 years ago, this man stepped forward and he took me under his wing and he helped me become a coach. Today we have the opportunity to sort of give back to Rich. Um, we, we had discussed this um, starting two years ago about having a gym dedicated to him. And he once said to me, he said, um, I don't want the gym to be about me. I just want, you know, it to be about the kids. Fraser Valley Bandits open their third season in the Canadian Elite Basketball League today in Abbotsford, taking on Saskatchewan Rattlers. This was all Bandits. Big game for Ontario's Alex Campbell knocks down the three. Bandits led by five. They pulled away in the third quarter. Abbotsford's own Merrick Klassen finds Campbell for another three. Campbell had a team-high 25 points. Klassen, nine assists, eight points. And then big man Shaquille Keith showing some ball-handling skills. As he takes it in for the layup, Keith had 15, and the Bandits roll to a 92-74 win in their season opener. Fans in Buffalo coming out to watch the Blue Jays and Orioles. Best be ready when Vladdy Guerrero Jr. steps up to the plate. Leads the majors in first pitch hits. And he came out swinging again today. Bashes his major league leading 26th homer on a first pitch. Two-run shot. Vladdy's 64 RBI. Also the best in baseball. Next man up, Teoscar Hernandez jumps on one. Takes that one deep. He's got 11 homers. 4-0 Jays. And with the bullpen blowing another one yesterday, the Jays piled on. Can never have enough. Randall Gritchuk with a three-run bomb. Gritchuk's 52 RBI, or 10th most in the majors. The Jays can certainly score. If that bullpen ever gets it together, they'll contend. Jays win 12-4. to 
The Stanley Cup final is set. Montreal Canadiens, who had the worst record of any of the 16 playoff teams, will take on the defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. The Habs are big underdogs again, but I think they'll give the Lightning a good run. Game one goes Monday in Tampa. They'll go Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week, take next weekend off, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday the following week. The latest the series could go Sunday, July 11th. Third round of the KPMG uh, Women's PGA Championship from Georgia. This is Brooke Henderson's one lone major victory back in 2016. Not going to win it this year, too far back, but did sink this long birdie on the eighth to finish at three under. She's tied 17th. Hamilton's Elena Sharp tied 13th at four under, but that is a long way back of the leaders. Nellie Corda knocks down the birdie to tie fellow American Lizette Salas for the lead. Both are at 15 under. They enjoy a five-shot lead on third place. And the PGA Tour is in Connecticut for the Travelers Championship. Bryson DeChambeau in contention. Approach at 13 here. Spins it to about five feet under the hole. Would make that for birdie. DeChambeau is tied for ninth at seven under, but he is just three shots back, so has a chance to make a move tomorrow. Bubba Watson has won this tournament three times, loves it in Connecticut. And at the 17th, a delicate little putt that falls in for birdie. Bubba tied for the lead with Kramer Hickok at 10 under. Mackenzie Hughes, top Canadian, tied 64th at 1 under. And we'll have complete Whitecap Sounders highlights tonight at 11. Neetu. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And coming up, a $22 billion hyperloop in Alberta takes a step forward. We'll look at how fast it would go and what it could mean for the economy next. A proposed hyperloop linking Calgary and Edmonton has taken another step forward. A feasibility study into the line has been completed and finds it could be profitable. At a cost of $22 billion, the line would run from downtown Edmonton to downtown Calgary with stops at both airports along the way and reaching speeds of up to 600 kilometers per hour. The company says the report shows Alberta is an ideal location and if they can secure approvals and funding, the line could be up and running as early as 2030. It's straight. There is good ridership between those two cities. So it's in terms of revenue, it's, it's a, it's, it remains quite interesting and it's flat. If built, the study suggests trips between the two cities would take between 45 minutes to an hour with ticket prices potentially starting as low as $90 one way. Wow. Hmm. I lived in Alberta, and I did drive that little stretch there, so that yeah. would be nice. It's Same for a, you, yeah. Barry. It's about a three-hour drive from Calgary to Edmonton, so I guess I'd save you some time. Yes. Save a good chunk of time. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Time is running out for us, though. We'll leave you there. Jordan will be here at 11. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay cool, everybody.